Good morning, everyone. So glad you guys made it out today. So uh, are the roads getting better than they were this morning? Anybody, if you're out at 7 o'clock, it was a little tricky. Hopefully they're getting better. I'm so glad you made it. If you're here, it's because you really want to be here because you had reasons to stay at home. You know, everybody gets a snow day, even from church, but you made it anyway. So I'm so glad you came. This is kind of the debut of our worship center update, and uh, you get to be uh, here the first time we we try all of this out. So that's what you're seeing is us trying out <laughs> the things that we have done in here. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited about um, what this space is going to be able to mean for us in the future. Uh, but I'm uh, excited about this sermon series that we're in. We started talking last week about the idea that, that we should own our faith. We, we talked about the difference between uh, owning something and renting something and the the idea that when you, when you own something, when you take personal responsibility for something, then you have to invest. You, you have to invest in, uh, in the future, really, of what it, whatever it is that you own. So as we talk about owning our faith today and having a vision for a preferred future today, uh, what I want to challenge you to do is begin to think about your own Life. We're going to come back around to this at the end. Am I blinking really fast or is that? Okay, so you're seeing that too. Good. Just want to make sure I'm not crazy. Uh, as I said, we're trying new things out and we're working out the bugs as we go. Um, but a- as you think about the future of your life, uh, your faith and, and, and your, your marriage, your parenting, your finances, what, what do you see down the road? What's coming? And what do you hope things look like for you a year from now? And what are you willing to do now to, to get there? Um, I love to think about the future. I love actually to read science fiction. Anybody science fiction novel readers? Nope, readers. How about movies? Mo- science fiction movies? Oh, I love them. A lot of people are like, oh, it's just not realistic. Yes, that's exactly right. It's not realistic. That's what I love about it. But it's more realistic than you think. I love because I watched Star Trek you know, and I, I love look, watching Star Trek, and then you, you see those things from Star Trek become real life. You know, the tricorder that they had 40 years ago on the show, and then that's the flip phone. That's a, isn't that? That's a, it's the same thing. Star Trek invented the flip phone. Did you know that? It's amazing. Science fiction is, is where it's at. So Star Wars, 1978, and you've got the hologram projections. You remember those in the movie? Real. It's real stuff. This guy in Australia developed this hologram table, and he, he can interact with that stuff. He can touch and move those buildings around. It's real life. Star Wars invented the hologram, and uh, Star Trek also invented the 3D printer. Did you know that? The replicator. Do you remember that from Star Trek, and especially in the next generation? Okay, I'm really, I'm really geeking some of you out. You're like, this guy is a little weird. But you can have a 3D printer in your home that will do the things that the replicator did on Star Trek that, that they didn't think was coming for another 200 years. We're ahead of the curve. That's why I love science fiction because it shows you these things and you, you get to imagine what things might be like. And then, then if you wait around long enough, you might see some of those things actually come into existence. And that's what we're, we're talking about. Like when you imagine your future, when you think about what things could be like for you, for your family, for your career, for your finances, most importantly, for your relationship with God. What do you envision? That, that's what we want to dive into today. And uh, Jesus is going to talk us through it because he's the best at that. Uh, he tells a parable in Matthew chapter 25. I want to turn your attention to If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to 
open there. You can follow along on your smartphone or on the screens, whatever works best for you. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells three different parables, and they're all about being prepared for the end, this moment of judgment when we will stand before our king, and, and he is the one who knows every thought and every word and every deed. And for, for all of us, that would be a terrifying moment unless the king loves us, loves us so much that he bled and died to forgive us of our sins. But that day is coming, and Jesus tells these three parables to talk about what we're supposed to do while we're waiting for the day when we stand before our king. And he talks about this sense of activity, of waiting actively versus waiting passively. That while we're waiting, we should be doing stuff. And he makes that really clear in these three parables, and we're going to highlight that in this middle one, this one that's kind of in the sandwiched in the middle here. So we're going to start in Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward and bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I, was, that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." It's one of my favorite, least favorite phrases in the Bible, gnashing of teeth. We don't even know what that means. We just know it sounds really bad, right? If there's a place where there's gnashing of teeth, I would like to not be there in that place, right? So that's the ultimate end of this story is uh, that there is punishment for this wicked servant. Now, what did the wicked servant do that was so bad? Did, did, he, did he go out and, and, and murder a lot of people? Because that would be wicked. That's something that should get you in the place where there's gnashing of teeth, whatever that means. Did he, did he go out and preach against God and say, hey, if you, if you follow God, then you're, you're, you're foolish and you're terrible? Did he do that? Because that should earn you a place in, in the, the place where there's gnashing of teeth. No, he actually, he didn't, he didn't do stuff like that. Actually, all he did was take what his master had entrusted with him and hold on to it and not lose it. 
and then give it back to his master when a master came. Does that sound like something that should earn you a trip to the place where there's gnashing of teeth? That, that, that sounds extreme, doesn't it? Well, Jesus, when he teaches these parables, he's very intentionally laying spiritual truth right inside of this practical story. So this story is the master is going away. He entrusts talents. And these are not like abilities, not like, okay, you're going to be a great golfer and you're going to have a beautiful voice and you're going to be a kazoo player in the orchestra in the kingdom of God. Those are not the kind of talents we're talking about. We're talking about actual money. And he takes this money and entrusts it to these servants and says, when I come back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want an accounting of this money. So, Yeah. Is it okay if I just close my eyes and we do the rest of this uh, blindfolded? We're going to have a, a bird box moment is what we're going to do. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so how much was a talent? Is a lot of money. Uh, our best guess is it was about 20 years wages. 20 years wages. So minimum wage in the state of Indiana you multiply that times 20 years, you get up with about $300,000. That's one talent. So the, to the first guy, he said, you're pretty trustworthy. I'm going to give you $1.5 million. Now take care of it. When I come back, I want to see what you've done. The second guy gives $600,000. And to the least, the least capable guy in the group, he still gets $300,000. He says, do, do your best. So the other two guys double their master's money, double it in the time that he's away. How? They traded. We don't really know exactly. He didn't give them instructions. He didn't say, okay, I want you to invest in this stock and I want you to trade with this guy. He just said, it's, it's your responsibility. Do your best. Whatever they did to double it, wouldn't you like to know what that was? If you could double your money over a period of a year, would you sign up for that? Yes, sign me up for whatever investment plan that is. These guys did a great job. They knocked it out of the park. And the reward is you get to enter the joy of your master that because you grew the master's kingdom, you get the benefit of that. So we get this sense that these guys had some kind of picture of a preferred future where they, they thought if, if our master's kingdom expands, that's good for us too. If, if, if he succeeds, we succeed. And so they invested in their master's future because it also was an investment in their own future. That's how that worked out. But what about the one? What about the one who comes back and all he has to show is exactly what he was given to begin with? As I said, mo most of us would look at that and say, well, at least he didn't lose it, right? He didn't lose it, but he buried it. Well, why? Some, some people are just risk averse, right? Some of you think of yourselves as risk takers. Like if there's something new out there, I'm going to try it. If there's, if there's you know, if, if it's snow on the roads, but church is open, I'm going, you know, because why not? You know, let's see what could happen. <laughs> but some of you are more risk averse. Probably not you, the ones who aren't here. Those are the risk averse people who say, I would just rather be safe at home. But there's this message that you get from the master. And remember, the master in this story Jesus is telling is a picture of God. It's kind of saying, this is kind of what God is like. And there's this message you get from the master that kind of says, I would rather you risk and lose than not risk at all. Because when you risk, you have a chance to expand the kingdom. But when you don't risk, you don't, you don't have a chance for that. 
In fact, he would say reasonable risk opens doors to a preferred future. Reasonable risk. Now, there's a difference between just being foolish and reasonable risk, right? Foolishness would be if I borrowed uh, Mr. Condor's Corvette and took that out today and just tried to see how fast I could go on this. That's foolishness. That's not reasonable risk. But getting in your car and coming to church on snowy roads, that's a reasonable risk. You believe it's going to be worth it. So we're not talking about being foolish, but reasonable risk opens doors to a preferred future. In fact, whatever you envision for your future, whatever you say, I hope that we get to this point in our, in our marriage, or I hope that we can make it to this point financially, there's probably going to be some risk involved in order to get there. Reasonable risk opens doors, but many people hold back when it comes to their faith. They don't, don't take chances. What are the obstacles to taking some risk, to stepping out in faith. I think the first one is fear. We're just afraid of losing what we have. We're, we're afraid that, that, and then this is what the, first, the third servant experienced. He was afraid of losing what his master had given him. And so he thought, the very least trouble I can get in is if I just don't lose any of it. You know, I just don't, I don't want to lose what he's given me. And I think that fear holds us back sometimes. And also complacency. I saw this bumper sticker recently that said, there are two things I hate, the way things are and change. I think that describes many of us. I'll give you a second for that to catch up, but uh, that describes a lot of people. I don't like the way things are, but please don't change anything because that's, that's worse, you know? And I think a lot of us kind of wrestle with complacency in that, that sense that, like, I, I can be happy if things never changed because... Maybe it's not better, maybe it's not ideal, but at least it's safe. At least it's comfortable. And I think fear and complacency both come from a place where we have prioritized or maybe even idolized security. We say the most important thing to me is to be secure. And so we're willing to set aside opportunities to grow in faith and to expand our master's kingdom because we choose security over progress. The one talent servant mistook security for service. And in this broader context of this chapter where Jesus is talking about facing judgment, he doesn't encourage us to ask the question, how can I be secure in my position in the kingdom? That's something that we all want to know. It's not a bad thing. Security is not a bad thing. And Jesus wants us to be secure in our position. He wants you to know that if you have given your life to him, you're in the kingdom. You're a part of the family. This is not something you need to lay awake worrying about. This is not a question you need to constantly wrestle with. He's not asking us to pursue this question, how can I be secure in my position in the kingdom? He's starting from a position where he wants you to assume that you are a part of the kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of the kingdom. Instead, he wants us to ask this question, what am I willing to invest in order to build this kingdom that I'm a part of? What am I willing to invest or risk? Instead, many of us take a very play-it-safe approach, and we ask, where is the line? Where is the line that I have to cross to be in? Or where is the line I have to stay away from so that I don't get put out? Where's the line? How far can I go? How many church services do I really have to attend? How many lies can I tell and get away with it, and, and I can still be in the family of God? How close can I get to an affair without going over the line, and I can still be in That's not the question that Jesus is asking us to consider. It's how much can I invest 
to build my master's kingdom. I think that the one-talent servant is a symbol for the Pharisees in this story. The Pharisees who were the religious elite, these were the guys that knew the Bible backwards and forwards. They knew the law inside and out, and they were there to make sure that everyone followed the law. They were so intent on preserving and protecting this religion that they missed out on opportunities to expand the kingdom. And so what they held on to so tightly, the law was taken away from them, and they found themselves outside the kingdom. And I think what we, we have to wrestle with is that this, this servant, who all he did, all he did was bury the money and make sure that he didn't lose it. That the master doesn't come back and say, oh, you know what, it would have been nice to have a little more, but at least you didn't lose what I had, so we're just going to call this a wash. He doesn't say that. What does he call it? Wicked. And slothful. I love the word slothful because it's like a word picture because you automatically picture what? A sloth. And if you've seen Zootopia, you're picturing a specific sloth, right? <laughs> flash, flash, 100-yard dash. That guy's in your head, works at the BMV, you know, right? He calls him wicked and slothful. Why? Because he did something safe? No, because what he did made it impossible for him to increase the master's kingdom. He can't increase the master's kingdom when he buries what he's been entrusted with in the ground. It's impossible. At least if you take a risk, there's a chance you're going to see an increase. And this is why it seems like the master is saying, I would rather you risk and lose than not risk at all. It reminds me of this verse from Hebrews chapter 11 that says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That when we're not willing to step out and put all of our trust in God, we can't actually please him. We can't add to the kingdom and we can't please the master when we bury what we've been entrusted with in the ground. So, what is it that you've been entrusted with? What is your talent? And we're, talking, we're not talking about whether you can sing or dance or preach or anything like that. That's not the kind of talent we're talking about. We're talking about a talent that everyone has been given. Remember in the story, everybody gets money. All the three servants get money. They just get a different amount. But what is the money? What is, what is it that we have been entrusted with? I believe it's the mission of God. I believe it's the mission of Jesus. When Jesus leaves his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and he tells them, I'm, okay, I'm going away from here and I'm, I'm going to be gone, but you will be my witnesses. This is your responsibility. I am entrusting the building of the kingdom of God on earth to you. I'm entrusting you with making sure that every person on the planet hears the good news about Jesus. That is your talent. Now, how much of it you're given is your sphere of influence. Some people get five, some get two, some get one, because I think some people have a small circle of influence. It's, it's, your, it's your family, it's your close friends. Some people have a bigger stage. Some people have a lot of people that look to them, a lot of people that listen to them. So you can't control your sphere of influence. It's, it is what it is. It's what you've been given. But you've all been given the same mission. And we're supposed to take the influence that we've been given, whatever amount that is, and leverage it for growth in the kingdom, to see the mission advance, to see more and more people come into relationship with God through Jesus. And you may think that because your influence is small, that your mission is small. And 
If that's the case, you've, you've missed what the mission really is. And you've missed what the master is expecting of you when he returns. He's expecting you to use what you've been given and to invest it in ways that may be risky and it's gonna cost you. But where you can show a return because at the end, he's gonna ask you. I think this is Jesus' point that there's coming a time when you're gonna stand before him and he's not gonna, he's not gonna say, okay, let's, let's go through all the sins that you committed. Let's just go through the list. And you're like, man, this is gonna, we're gonna be here a while. Okay, he's gonna say, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? What did you do with your talent? And what, what's your response going to be? And my hope and prayer is that you're able to show that there's a return on your investment or at least that you took some chances and you tried. I love verse 21, and this is kind of our memory. If you, if you want to lock something away to remember later, verse 21 is a good place to start for today. This is the response to the five-talent servant. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh, I love that line. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what I look forward to. I look forward to being able to share as the kingdom of God expands. It's good for me. When the kingdom grows, the workers win. What do we win? I believe that investing in the kingdom and seeing the kingdom grow is our ticket to peace and joy and purpose in life. I believe that's absolutely the way that you and I are going to get what every person on the planet craves, what we've all been created for. Peace and joy and purpose come when the kingdom of God wins. And the kingdom of God wins when the workers are faithful and take a risk. I want to share in the rewards of my master. So let's talk about this in terms of our church family. I believe that Cicero Christian Church our sphere of influence is growing. We, we are gaining more influence in our community uh, because we are showing our community through our actions that we care about them, that we love them, that they matter to us, and that we're willing to risk, we're willing to be generous, we're willing to, to sacrifice for the needs of our community, and that is gaining us more influence. So what are we going to do with it? Well, I'll tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to be like the unfaithful servant. We're not going to be driven by fear or complacency. We're not going to be afraid of losing people or losing money. We're not going to be okay with status quo. We're not going to be foolish, but we're going to take reasonable risks because reasonable risks open the door to a preferred future. Instead, we're going to be like the faithful servants. We're going to try new things. Look around. We're going to try new things. We're going to take chances. We're going to explore. We're going to create, and we're going to fail. Sometimes, maybe, maybe a lot of times, because we believe that it's better to risk and lose than to not risk at all. We believe that we can't contribute. It's impossible to contribute to the kingdom of God if we're not willing to step out in faith. Reasonable risk opens doors to a preferred future. So let's get specific because details matter. This is where it's at. What do we believe? If we do our part and God does his part, what can happen through the ministry of Cicero Christian Church in 2019? If we do our part, if we're faithful and we take some chances, and we step out on faith, and we let the Spirit lead us, what do we believe can happen if we do our part and God does his part? Specifically, here's what we believe in. We believe that every member is a minister. If you're a part of this church family, you are a, you are a member and you are accountable. If you're a guest with us, 
I'm so glad you're here, and you can keep being a guest, and we're not going to ask you to mop the floors or give money or anything like that. Just be a guest and encounter God here. But if you're a part of the family, there's an expectation that comes along with that. Every member, a minister. So here's what we believe, that if we do our part and God does his part, here's our picture of a preferred future. There will be 250 people who are part of the Cicero Christian Church family, all ages, all life situations, who are finding pathways for contributing to the life and work of the Cicero family. You may have heard the 80-20 rule, that in most organizations, especially in churches, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. We're going to flip that upside down completely. We want to see 250 people actively engaged in ministry, and not just engaged, but being trained to use everything that God has given them to minister to people in the exact way that God has called them to do that. 250 people in training to actively engage in ministry by the end of the year. We're confident. If we do our part and God does his part, that's what we're going to see happen. We really believe in healthy parenting and thriving marriages. This is a value for us. It, it's, it's deeply embedded in who we are. And so we believe if we do our part and God does his part, we're going to see partnership with 100 families that ensures that marriages and parents are resourced for health and growth. Okay, there's kind of a lot packed into that. But we, we want to see specific families resource for healthy marriages and good parenting. That's what we want to see. We believe that God can do that through us, 100 families. We think if that happens, we're going to see stronger marriages and healthier families because we believe Jesus makes things better. Your life is better with Jesus. Your family is better with Jesus. And if we've got families that have Jesus at the center, then our communities are better with Jesus, aren't they? And we've got Jesus-centered families out in our community. It's a better community for everyone. So we're going to invest heavily in families. And then finally, we believe that, that our investment in the mission should produce new followers of Jesus. There should be more people walking around who have devoted their lives to Jesus because of the ministry of this church. So we believe if we do our part and God does his part, there are 100 people who are not a part of the Cicero family who are going to find pathways to Jesus through our habits of care, connect, and challenge. 100 people are going to come to Christ through the ministry of Cicero Christian Church this year. I'm confident if we do our part and God does his part, we're going to see that happen. That may sound like a big number to many of you, but I'm telling you there are thousands within a five-mile drive of this building who need to know that, yes, they're sinful, and yes, God is holy, and yes, they can be with him because Jesus made a way. Thousands of people who need to hear that, and they need to see it lived out in the lives of real people like you. Thousands. And if we can just scratch the surface and get 100 this year, we'll be on our way to using our talent, the influence that God has given us, and the mission that he has placed upon us in a way that's going to make a difference for the kingdom. That's our preferred future. That's our picture. We want to see people actively engaged in ministry. We want to see parents and marriages resourced for health and growth. And we want to see new people come to Jesus. If we do our part and God does his part, I believe we're going to see that happen because he's given us everything we need. So what about you? What about your life? What is your picture of a preferred future? We've put some notes in your bulletin there for you. I want you to take a look at those. There's five categories where we've asked you to pray and think about what, what, is, what is your picture for a preferred future? What does it look like? If you do your part, if you trust God and you are faithful in your life and he does his part, what could happen? What could happen in your career, in your workplace, in your finances, in your marriage, 
what could happen if you are faithful and you're willing to take some chances and you trust God completely and he does his part and keeps his promises, what could happen? I want you to think about this. So I want you to ask this question or fill in, fill in these blanks. I believe that if I trust God and take steps of faith, by the end of this year, my relationship with Jesus will fill in that blank. What does it look like? If you trust God, take steps of faith, what, what will your life look like, your relationship with Jesus look like? Do you think that you can be closer to him a year from now than you are today? What would it take to get there? Are you willing for it to cost you something? What would that look like? I want you to talk about this when you leave here. Sit down with your family. Go over this together at lunch. Get specific because details matter. So I want you to fill in that blank, and then you can just pick one of the other four, whether it's your, your parenting, your marriage, your finances, or your calendar. I threw calendar on there because I know that's a big one for my family. Sometimes I feel like our calendar runs our life, and I think that's not supposed to be that way. I think Jesus is supposed to run my life, and my calendar should get in line. So what does it look like if, what does my calendar look like if I trust God, if I take steps of faith, if I'm willing to say no to some things that everyone else in our society thinks I should say yes to, and I clear my calendar for God to work, what would that look like? What about your finances? What, what, what are your hopes and dreams? I believe if you're a follower of Jesus that part of the goal of your finances is to be more generous. I want to be in a position where I can give away more money. That's, that's what I want for my finances. I believe if I'm faithful, if I do my part, and God is faithful and he does his part, that I'll be able to give away more money this year. And I hope to think the same is true for you. So here's, I, I want you to really wrestle with these. I want you to take that first one, your relationship with Jesus, and really hammer that out. If you're not currently a follower of Jesus, this is a time when you, you have to count the cost and you say, well, what if? What if I gave it all to him? What if Jesus really did die for my sins and rose from the dead? so that I could be with God. What if that's true? And what if I gave my life to it? What could happen? What would things look like? And then just pick one of those other four and sit down with your family and go through this stuff and get specific. Because someday we're gonna stand before our master and he's gonna say, what did you do with the little bit that I entrusted you with? And then I want you to share your story with us. If you come up with a really good vision, a really clear picture and you think this could inspire and encourage somebody else, I would love for you to share it with us. So maybe, maybe for you, this is a private, it's just between you and God, and that's totally fine. But if you think it could help other people, share it on our church's Facebook page or send an email to the church office or text me. I would love to just hear your story and, and see your vision for your family because stories matter. They inspire people. Like this story, I want to tell you about Will and Ashley. Will and Ashley are from North Carolina. They've lived in the Raleigh area their whole lives. And they started going to church uh, separately, didn't know each other, started going to this church called The Summit in Raleigh. And they met each other, they fell in love, got married there. And, and they said, we didn't feel like we were part of a church, we felt like we were part of a family. Just very different than any other experience we ever had. But as they got into the life and work of this church, they realized that the Summit Church is a sending church. A high priority for them is to send people out to places where they need new churches so that they can start new churches. And so Will and Ashley, they weren't pastors. They didn't work for the church. They just had regular jobs. But they bought into this mission. And the Summit Church said, hey, we've identified a community in Orlando, Florida that really needs a church. Will anybody go? And Will and Ashley said, We'll go. They quit their jobs. They sold their house. 
And they moved to Florida. They're still not pastors. They're not getting paid by the church. So they have to get new jobs and they find a new house. And as soon as they moved, they wrecked their car and then Ashley got really sick and they faced a lot of trials and they never had a moment regret because they were investing. Yes, they took a big risk and yes, it cost them something, but they were convinced that this was the way that they were gonna contribute to the kingdom of God. And I love what Will said at the end of his testimony. He said, we're not doing this for God. That kind of made me sit up. I thought, well, I'm on the edge of my seat to hear what you say next. We're not doing this for God. We're doing this because of him. We're not doing this to, to get some kind of recognition or so God will love us more or forgive us more. He already loves us more. He already forgives us more. We're doing this because he loves us, because of what Jesus do, did for us, the sacrifice that he made. What, what's the big deal about moving to another state in light of what Jesus has done for me? That's Will's attitude. And I just love to see that kind of full investment in the mission. Somebody who's willing to say, I think that God can take my little talent, and if I invest it well, I think he can use it. I think he can double it. I think he can triple it. And I think when Will and Ashley stand before their master, I think they're going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. I'm going to give you much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what I want. That's what I want when my time comes to stand before my Savior and he says, all right, Adam, what, what have you done? I, I gave you a talent. I gave you just a little bit. What did you do with it? Man, I pray and I hope and I work for every day the opportunity to hear those words, well done, to say, here, Jesus, you gave me this and, and, and I took some chances and it cost and it hurt a little bit and we paid a price, but I doubled it. And he'll say, well done. I want that so bad, and I want it for you. I want it for you, too. I want you to be able to stand before him and hear those words because you took what he gave you, and you invested it, and you took some chances, and it cost you, and it hurt a little bit, and it was totally worth it because when the master's kingdom grows, you benefit. What are you going to do with the little bit that's been entrusted to you? Will you pray about that with me? Father, I'm so humbled and honored that you've given me anything at all to invest. But you, you've, you've entrusted me with a mission that's so much bigger than me. And you've given me a little bit of influence. And God, my prayer is that I would, I would handle it faithfully. I pray that for all my brothers and sisters here, that we would, we would just be faithful in, in the sense that we're willing to, to step out. We're willing to do things that don't make sense to other people. We're willing to to put your promises on the line and trust you. And God, I pray that when we do that, not only will, will it benefit you, but there, there are gonna be people around us who have their eyes open to your love and grace by our words and actions. Would you do that through us and in us? And may you get the glory for every good thing. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that Jesus modeled this really well for us, that he took a big risk going to the cross and trusting that it was all going to work out the way God said, that it was going to be totally worth it. I know that the night before in the garden when he's praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, that there was a sense in which he was, he was putting God's promises on the line. He's saying, you've said that this is going to be worth it. You said that this is the only way. 
I'm just gonna trust you. Not your will, but mine. Not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed. And we take this opportunity every week here at Cicero Christian Church to celebrate that, to say thank you, Jesus, for taking that risk, for sacrificing, for letting it hurt because it did pay off. It paid off for me and it paid off for you. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, I get forgiveness and freedom and hope and so do you. So let's take this time. Let's say thank you for the, for the sacrifice and for the gift. Let's honor him. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, for his broken body and his shed blood. And I pray now that as we take this bread and this juice, we will remember what Jesus did. God, I pray that if, if we have sin in our, in our lives, that we'll confess it right now, that we'll repent, we'll receive your forgiveness and we'll move on and that you'll do that in us in this moment and that you'll be honored with the way we spend this time. In Christ's name, amen.